Welcome to the, today's episode of the Emotion at Work podcast and today we're looking at how emotions and identities are explored in conversation. Um, often the interactions that we have can be quite ritualised and almost kind of predefined um, and today's guest wants to change that and give people uh, both a safe but also explorative and playful way um, to, uh, sorry, explorative and playful place to talk in a different way. Um, and today's guest is going to be someone that um, is going to be new to most of our Emotion Work podcast listeners, um, but a voice that I'm really fascinated to talk with um, and I'm excited to, to be spending some time with today. So I'd like to welcome to uh, today's podcast, Georgie Nightingale. Hi, Georgie. Hi. Morning. How are you? Um, I'm good actually this morning. Yeah, really good. And yourself? Yeah, very well, thank you. Apart from having a bit of a husky voice, um, which I said when we were kind of talking off air, um, might be you know that might actually be better for the podcast. But we'll um, we'll, we'll wait and see on that one. Um, so, <laughs> in my introduction, um, uh, I talked about how you're looking to um, sort of play in, play with the idea that interactions that we have can be ritualized and um and predefined mm-hmm. um and, and that's something that we'll explore as we go but i know that um what you're what you're really interested in um is uh, the way that people go about conversation and the stimulus that um the stimulus that people can respond to mm-hmm. so what i'd like to do is rather than do the usual you know help out the listener um by telling us a bit more about you so instead i'd like to ask you to to share a question that you might ask at one of your events and we'll tell the listener more about what your events are later um but if you start with one of the questions that you'd ask at one of your events and then we'll both answer it and and then we can see how we go from there does that sound okay yeah sounds absolutely fine um okay okay cool so uh i'll talk more about the structure of my events later um but this is a canapé question so it's like a an icebreaker question um which people would usually have about five minutes to answer with somebody um they don't know okay um, and it is, what have you craved in the last week? Oh, what have I craved in the last week? Um, uh, so I've craved sleep. <laughs> um, so sleep has been something that I've not, uh, no, that's not true. I've craved quality sleep. So sleep's mm. not quality sleep is something I've not had that much of in the past week. Um, what else have I craved in the past week? Um, I think I've craved some help actually. So some help and some support um, from mm-hmm. other people. So I'm conscious that I, in, in my head, I often have lots of things that I want to do. I've mm-hmm. got lots of ideas or lots of um, opportunities or possibilities or things that I want to be doing. Um, and there's only so much of me that goes around. Um, and so craving some some help and some support with some of the things that I want to do um, is something, that, something else that I've been craving this week. In terms of like... Uh, um, managing your time managing your time and trying to like structure what it is that you want to do and work out what's feasible and the time you have or people to actually do stuff for you um so a little bit of both but mainly people to help me with stuff so it's mainly so for example i've got um i've got some work i want to do in um sort of playing with some of the deception work that I get involved in more and thinking more about how, how I, you know, how do I, how do I share some of that stuff and how do mm-hmm. I talk about, how, how can I um, explain a language the way that, that I go about doing that in a way that, um, you know, people are going to be interested in. Um, so partly it's about helping me do some thinking with that, but it's also um, 
kind of some helping me articulate that in in a in a way um and then also sort of pull a proposition together and make it quite clear in um in what what it is that I'm trying to do so it's a bit of both really Ooh. nice <laughs> and what about you what have you craved in the last week coffee <laughs> so as a story behind this um I woke up on Wednesday morning and decided that I was addicted to coffee and I needed not to be addicted to coffee so I stopped drinking it that day um, oh wow yeah I mean I only drink one cup a day which is imposed as a rule but it's still a significant amount if you think about like how strong how much caffeine it has um and I th- think I was just becoming dependent on it I needed it for my inspirational boost and my energy levels were all over the place um and yeah I think it was, it was kind of controlling me actually so I just stopped and uh then had a good six days of headaches and a little bit of nausea and unproductivity um and generally just feeling a bit rubbish um but I'm getting there I'm, I'm now on day I'm on day eight now actually so okay um, and I've coped. I've managed to go without coffee all that time. And I'm feeling quite good about that fact that I've been disciplined. Um, and that I, I've managed to do the worst part, I think. I actually woke up this morning and felt okay, you know, just not like uh, craving for my coffee cup. Um, so, yeah, so I'm glad I'm, I've done it. But I will drink it again. Just I don't want to, I don't want it to be a thing that I have to have. All right, okay. Yeah, that makes sense so yeah something random wow okay so um so you, you mentioned that that was a um a, a canopy question and we'll come back onto what that means in a minute but i'm also interested in um in the question itself because that's a you know the um what have you craved in the last week because that's that's quite an emotive word you know mm-hmm. to you know because crave is almost synonymous with you know some uh, a desire and sometimes even maybe like a dark desire i suppose was yeah. is, was that part of the thinking in terms of when you put that question together? So it's a great question because it's both very generic and specific um, because you're invited to, to talk about something that's very relevant to yourself. And as you say, crave could literally be anything from um, your deepermost desires or something like, oh, I just need coffee, you know. But it invites people to um, tell a story um, about themselves and also open up and be vulnerable about a need, a need they have um, in some respect, which is, you know, it's a very human need mostly. Um, so it's a great way to build trust. Um, and also it always invites further conversations. Um, you know, you tell somebody something that you needed that week um, and their next questions are usually why or tell me more, etc. Um, so it's a great conversation opener. You can say as much as you like or, or not want, or don't want to as well. So that's quite good. Um, yeah. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah, because that 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 um, you know, the the kind of the relevance and the meaning that you find in it, um, or you find in the question, you know, whether it be as you know, something uh, like you know you had as coffee, mm-hmm. um, or, or it could be something else entirely. And, and I guess are there are there risks for people then? Do you think um, you know is there is there a risk that they could um, over, you know, overshare or overexpose themselves in response to that because it, um, you know, because they might they might find a relevance that is kind of deep and dark and, and therefore go with that. And is there a risk they might overshare? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how I feel about the word risk. Um, okay. Be- because 
in these in the events I I create, um, it's a it's a um, safe space, and people are encouraged to be open and honest and vulnerable, um, and to say what they want. And I think the beauty of talking to strangers. I'll come on more <laughs> into the structure of my events, but people talk to strangers, um, have these these questions, um, is that you don't necessarily have to see that person again. So you're sharing something about yourself, but actually, you know, you can leave it at that. You can have a conversation and then you move on to the next one and nothing more needs to be said. So you can actually tell them your life story or your deep and darkest, most fears or wants and desires if you want to. Um, mm. And then actually I find though that, yes, okay, it's vulnerable to share, but once you've shared something about yourself, which is quite meaningful, people usually feel the need to respond in the same way. Um, mm. And therefore you've both kind of risked but actually you've gained at the same time as well. Um, most people who, who are interested in having these kinds of conversations actually want to be in a situation where they can be honest and they can be open. Um, mm. So um, they've, they've, they're framed, they're ready for it. So actually, I don't think there's such a thing as oversharing in this respect. Okay, so we, we've, we've kind of we've alluded to the fact that we'll talk more about... Um, about the events and you know as so we've mentioned the canopy questions and stuff like that so I, I wonder if you know for the benefit of the listener it might be worthwhile talking a bit more about um about what it is that you're up to so so you founded a thing called trigger conversations so do you want to tell us more about that sure i am um, yeah so trigger conversations um are events that i run currently in london um monthly and also special events um and they are for strangers to have meaningful conversations and real connections um, I think that a lot of our conversations is very superficial um, with strangers. We often go into a room full of strangers who are like networking, for instance, and all people will ever do is say, oh, you know, what do you do? Or where do you come from, etc." And then you repeat this elevator script um, in your yeah. head. And they go, oh, interesting. Mm, they ask you maybe one question and then the conversation closes. Um, and it's just a social norm, you know. Um, so at my events, I have kind of forbidden the question, what do you do? Um, and I've replaced it with a selection of questions which are more interesting and uh, encourage people to be open, um, to share stories um, or to talk about just something else, basically, some other facet of their personality. Um, and the events are structured into a conversation menu. So like in a dinner party, um, you yeah. will go through different courses and each course is obviously going to be light or heavier, depending on what it is. Same with this. So this is, it's a metaphorical dinner party. So you'll have questions. The canapes are quite light. They're, they're icebreakers. They're only between three and five minutes each. And then mm -hmm. you move through starter, which is again a, bit, a little bit longer, 10 minutes. And then you go to the main. So the main course is my favorite conversation course. Um, it's 15 minutes long and you get three choices. So you can either have meat, which is deep and thoughtful conversation. Or okay. you can have fish, which is controversial conversation. Um, or you can have vegetarian, which is nourishing conversation. Um, and then after meat, you okay. have d dessert, sweet and delightful conversation. Cheese. Um, cheese is a task. It's more kind of playful and a game. Um, and then you find, finish the evening with coffee, which is warming, reflecting and vitalizing. Um, so there's a, there's a number of courses to go through. Um, you speak to a different person for each course um, and you're ma randomly matched so you don't have to go and find somebody necessarily. Um, and um, the idea is really to kind of get strangers together but also to get people to have real conversations. Conversations where 
you aren't trying to go anywhere you know they don't mm. have an agenda um a lot of people talk because they feel like they need to get some sort of information out of the other person or they need to advise or negotiate or whatever um and they're very goal oriented whilst uh, actually the joy of having a um, intrinsically valuable conversation, a real conversation, is that you don't actually know where it is that you're meant to be going. Um, you're just enjoying that moment and you're connecting with somebody um, and it's playful and it's organic and spontaneous and you probably will go off in tangents, but you'll learn something. It's an opportunity to be playful and intimate and adventurous. Those are the kinds of conversations which my events promote. And, and I guess that must be like just hugely different from your standard networking event. <laughs> uh, from what from the events I've been to, yes, I think it is. And from what I've spoken to other people about, um, I think, I mean, it's difficult in, in network events because you you know you're there to get something. You're looking for um, clients or collaborations, business in some respect. Um, mm. So you want to find out something meaningful about what they do and think find out whether it's relevant for you. Um, but at the same time, you also don't want to do it in a way which is too much of a hard sell. Um, so you're trying to like build relationships um, by building rapport with people. Um, but actually, I think uh, with, net with network, I mean, even from my events, people have networked through them. And people have also built new relationships, you know, friendships and beyond as well, um, which yeah, is not yeah. the intention. But it comes out of having a conversation where you're actually connecting with somebody in a, in a real way, like you find that there's some sort of chemistry and that is the foundation to any good relationship, whether it's networking or it's uh, as a friendship. So where, where did your, um, where did your sort of interest or your passion for this come from then? Uh, it's sort of funny, I suppose. Um, it came from boredom. Um, and, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, and frustration as well. Um, I was working a um, full-time job um, as a project manager and um, I was quite enjoying my work. It was quite hard, but um, I was learning something new every day. Um, but the issue was is that I would come back from work and um, go to events, either see friends or meet new people. And the only question that I would be asked is, you know, what do you do or how was work? And I just thought I've just spent the whole day at work. I don't necessarily need to repeat this, but also... I felt very boxed, like all people wanted to know of me was what I did. Um, mm. And in some situations, I found that people weren't actually satisfied with what their job was. Um, and that the conversations themselves just don't, didn't make me feel very good. I was very unfulfilling. And um, I didn't feel like I actually met anybody. Um, and, and it was difficult to actually build any relationships further from these events. Um, so I was basically did some experiments to try and find out, you know, to make things better. So I ran some parties um, where you had to bring a, bring a friend. Um, so I tried to change the dynamic by changing the people. Um, okay. And that was good. Um, and I get some new rules as well. So you had to like play host. Um, every time someone arrived, you were the next host. So that kind of changed things around. And it was, it was good and it was fun, but I kind of felt like we were still stuck in these rigid structures of going back to social norms, you know, what was expected for you to ask other people. Um, so I realised from that that I needed to create an event with new rules, with new structures. I needed to be direct and say to people, you know, this is what we're going to talk about, this is not what we're going to talk about. Um, and I um, then my friend came up and suggested, why don't you have a, a conversation menu? And I thought, okay, that's great. And I thought, well, what does the menu include? Um, as a metaphor and um, 
found some questions I thought would be relevant um, and yeah and then just pitched it put it out there on, on Facebook um, uh, in October and my first event I had 10 friends and 10 strangers um, mm. and it was a huge success so I just thought okay well I've got to carry on and see where this goes okay now uh, I, I know that you know, so we met <coughs> we met through um, you know mutual studying uh, when we were both um, doing a, doing our MSc in uh, in emotion credibility and deception, but I know you've also got um, a further kind of academic background in philosophy as well. So yeah. it, it kind of makes me wonder that that actually be- behind you know sort of what's part of what's driving you is a bit more than just the just the boredom and the frustration. Um, so is, is there something is there something more to it as well? Um, yes, I, I am definitely philosophically minded. Um, I really like I really like to learn and I really like to unpack things and um, get to a deeper deeper more meaningful level so I guess um, I wasn't I wasn't getting that um, after I left university because I was in the working world Um, Mm. but and I feel like at least for me the capacity to learn is something really should should be there throughout your whole life basically Um, and if you're not getting those kind of conversations uh, in work uh, and you're not getting it at home, then you can kind of feel like very, I don't know what the word is. Um, I, I can't think of the right word, but very um, non-energized, non-enthused in some respect. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I think, yeah, definitely. Definitely my philosophy has, has, um, has impacted this. And actually some of the questions... Um, are very philosophical in nature especially when you get to the main course um you can choose not to have those kind of questions but um i think that uh it has yeah it has impacted the where why i'm doing this so i i know we we started with um we started with a canopy Mm. um and, and and in part of the you know the the planning for the podcast i didn't uh, i i hadn't suggested this as an idea and it's just come to me as we've gone so part of me wonders whether we should play with some of those other questions as we go whether we should play with some of the other courses um as we work our way through the podcast just for um you know to to see um to see how that you know to just give the listeners some examples of, of the sorts of questions that that can be asked and um and some of the discussion that goes with it and um, and I'll put that to one side for a second because I think that that'd be interesting to to see how that goes. But if I bring us back to kind of why you do this, then so and then the why I've been, why I've been really interested in to get on the Emotion at Work podcast. So in terms of the the role that emotion plays in in those conversations that you then on a, you know, through trigger conversations you're you're asking these different questions that are opening up different conversations that are happening between people mm-hmm. and how are you seeing that kind of working at, at an emotional level with the individuals that take part and the individuals that are you know taking part in it in what in the conversations that are happening so i think in a kind of standard everyday conversation i'm going to go with that, that that's describing a conversation where with a stranger you don't know them and you're kind of sitting in small talk territory you don't yeah. reveal much about yourself necessarily you talk about external factors um you know like the weather or you know where you live maybe and there's something around that area um and you're trying yeah. to find a, a mutual point of com- um, connection but i think that what they don't do therefore is they don't invite you to talk about things that are about you and about how you feel and how you think um, about particular issues or particular things that have happened in your life 
Um, so that they're not emotional. And if we're not talking about things that aren't emotional, we can have distance. Um, and we are also not really connecting. You know, we're not recognizing each other as a kind of, um, as a human being, you know, um, yeah. everyone has ups and downs and, uh, life is hard, you know? Um, and that the, the superficiality is just, um, is just not, um, it doesn't allow us, the small talk doesn't allow us to get to, to a human level. So I think that um, it's really important in a conversation to share something of yourself, you know, to let someone know that actually, you know, you are human and um, and that you're interesting as well through that. Um, and that also recognising that makes you feel better and makes the other person feel better as well. And I know you've been sort of playing with with or the true conversation events so far have been happening in um, yeah from a sort of a, a public perspective. You know, so you liken them to um, you know people get networking benefits from them so far. Um, have you played with them, with doing any of this sort of stuff in the workplace yet? Um, I so I haven't yet run any sessions in the workplace, but I have been speaking to some organisations that are interested in doing this sort of thing. Um, because I think that the issues are still there as well in organisations um, where people are working with each other but don't seem to actually have any conversations where they get to know each other. Um, they're always about you know the task and hand and work um, and therefore that they haven't built the strong relationships that are actually required when you want to have strong um, teams. Um, I think this is especially important in um, project teams where you meet people quickly and you're required to work together intensively for a short period of time to achieve a, achieve an end goal. Um, so this is something which I am considering um, doing, so taking this true conversations into organisations as a, a kind of workshop um, or an after-work um, kind of drink set-up thing to just really invite people to actually get to know their, their co-workers. Yeah, because if you know, the the idea of conversation being ritualized, you know that that's something that you know I, I agree. A lot of conversation is ritualized. You know, it, it has, <clears throat> and you know we could both get incredibly geekily excited about you know some of the conversation analysis and the discourse analysis, you know, work that happens around how just how ritualized conversations are. You know, almost to the point where you can with a quite degree, high degree of accuracy predict how somebody is going to respond to a to a question or a statement you know by because it mm -hmm. because of its ritualized nature and i think you know there are certain activity types you know like networking is an example where you're right those scripts just run you know the yeah. so what do you do ah oh, that's you know so you can almost kind of script out <laughs> how that conversation is going to go and then both parties just become complicit to that and off they go yeah. um but I, I do wonder though especially you know maybe even more so in the workplace are there, um, you know, certain activity types where that script will run, you know, so let's think about, I don't know, like one-to-one -one discussions with your line manager or, mm -hmm. as you were saying, you know, initial um, initial discussions or interactions between project teams that need to come together or even in like in team meetings and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine that the sort of breaking some of those, um, breaking some of those conventions or some of those rituals um would make for very different and actually quite interesting and maybe meaningful conversations. Yeah, I think that's right. Actually, you mentioned um, rituals, and I think it's important to recognise that in the workplace, as a new activity type, as a new context, there are different rules. Um, there are different rules to what you might get in your family setting or your friend setting or stranger setting. 
um, in that people feel they have to be professional more than anything. Um, and they yeah. also feel like they're in some ways time pressured, you know, especially in a meeting, you know, you've got to get to the point. Um, and that means that there's no invitation to actually do something um, to find out about people um, and to invest the time in the actual in the relationship building. Um, and people feel as well that they they want to come across as as, well, as good as they can. Um, so they want to be professional, and that means that being professional means you know not necessarily recognizing weaknesses or vulnerabilities um, and telling people about them. Um, because then they they might not get promoted or they might not be given a, a task or something else and they people will therefore um be more more likely to um give superficial answers i think um or not ask questions which are personal and intrusive um because they feel like that makes them come across negatively um and um it's probably reinforced by the fact that um organizations um are quite rigid in that respect, quite hierarchical, and these norms exist before people actually um, enter the, the organisation, and everyone knows yeah. they're there, so they they reinforce them because of this. If they don't do it, then the next person doesn't do it, and there's no real invitation for people to actually break the rules, basically. Um, mm. And uh, so it's the status quo, you know. And rule breakers are not necessarily appreciated in organisations. Um, you don't want to come across as weird. Um, so, um, so no one does it. So, uh, you know, we're, we're talking, or for me, we're talking about a couple of different things here. You know, so from a, um, if people want to, if listeners want to, um, sort of get look into or investigate more about the, some of the concepts that George and I are sort of talking about here, we're talking about two things really. We're talking about um, Stephen Levinson and his work on activity types. You know, and his, his notion that. Um, there are certain um, there are certain discrete um, types of activity that have sets of rules uh, and, and often unwritten rules and expectations that sit around them. Um, and then also we're talking about the, the concept of allowable contributions. I can't remember off the top of my head who um, who came up with the idea of allowable contributions. I should remember that, but I've forgotten. But again, the idea being that in certain contexts, certain people. Um, or certain individuals may may or may not be allowed to contribute and take part. So uh, one of the, my favourite examples is a um, I was part of a of a board meeting, and when when the activity type changed, the allowable contributions changed. So initially, when you know everybody everybody was arriving, we were meeting and greeting, and there was the usual you know the small talk that you were talking about earlier on happening and. Um, there were certain members that there were certain individuals that were there. One uh, was there was a secretary there. There was also um, a there was a facilitator who wasn't me actually for a change. It was somebody else. Um, uh, and then there was the board, and then me as a um, as a, an individual with a task to do at the meeting. But when when the context changed from that kind of initial meet and greet, um, the secretary was a huge you know part of that conversation. He was both in, you know, introducing people to each other, um, you know, really engaging and, and very much very talkative and very animated within it. And then as soon as that uh, activity type changed, once the meeting began, um, she wasn't allowed to contribute then in the same way. You know, so her contributions were much more um, to, to do with or allowed to be about the agenda points and making sure that the actions have been recorded accurately. Um and I find that fascinating, you know, that, that just that small, that shift in context then completely changes 
um, the, what's what's allowed and who's permitted to to speak and not speak. Um, yeah, and I you know, and, and I love the way that you're trying to play with some of that stuff. I think. Hmm. Okay. Um. So, should we have one of the questions from another course and um to see how that goes? Do you want? Should we should we go for a main course? You said you quite liked those, didn't you? I I did. Um. What? Which one? Do you want to go meat, vegetarian, or fish? Um. The playful part of me wants to go fish because you said that was controversial. Um, <laughs> it can be quite controversial. Uh, let, let me maybe find one that is less controversial. I don't know. Uh, hang on a sec. Just got visions of you flicking through your conversation cards. <laughs> that, that is exactly what it is. Um... Okay, here's one I think be all right. Um, so it's fish, uh, which is controversial. Okay. What, what are or would be your faults as a parent? What are or what would be my faults as a parent? So I, I can go with what are uh, rather than what would be. Um, so one is patience. So I, I'm less patient um, than I would than I should be or than mm. I would like to be. Um, so especially when um, uh, when any of my children, but when my eldest in particular. Um, doesn't do as I've asked, mm. then um, my 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 tolerance and my patience levels are um, are a lot uh, a lot shorter than than they should be than I would like them to be. Um, and I think my second one is going to be attention. So there are times where I am incredibly attentive. So where you know where I'm wholly fully you sort of you know, present in, in whatever it is that we're doing, whether that be, um, you know, playing games, whether it be, um, you know, chatting, but there are, mm -hmm. there are other times where I can let, um, where I can let work and especially, you know, sort of some of my, my devices, whether that be my phone or my, or my iPad, yeah. there are times where I, I can let that, um, interfere where I think actually, you know what, I don't, I don't need to be checking Twitter or checking my emails or, um, you know, writing down that particular thought that I've just had about this thing that I could do, um, mm -hmm. I can put that away and just be, um, just be more present. There was a there was an article published, I think it was by by the BBC this week about some research that had been done, asking children about the impact of um, you know parents' device usage, mm -hmm. um, and that that might be why that one is particularly front of mind because I read that piece this week and thought, yeah, that's I, I can see me in that. I can I can see my relevance in that. I think most parents can probably in our in our current world it's very difficult to not be plugged in um all the time in fact i think even with even just not as a parent even as a friend or any kind of relationship um or you know you're seeing a family to not to not look at your devices and not check on email etc um and to have rules about around like not doing it at particular times of the day or not working um mm. especially as, as for instance for yourself obviously you know 
uh, you, you, you define your work and you find when you do it. So the structures and the boundaries are not necessarily there in the same way. And I think in this world as well, we're probably going to be moving more towards that um, where it's, it's not necessarily sh uh, certain where the, the, the line is um, and work and play might even become the same thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally get that. <laughs> it's a, mm. must be a real struggle. Um, I, uh, I'm not yet a parent, um, but I think when I am, I will struggle with that element um, of spending time w with my children. I, I know from, from previous relationships that um, I can get into something called ta I call task mode. Um, okay. <laughs> well, my ex used to call it task mode, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is where I am incredibly productive and I would just bam through my to-do list and, and go through work and get a real hit out of doing that. Um, mm. And sometimes I, it would, it would just come and I'd be just, I just want to do it. And that meant, of course, any time we spent together wasn't really spent together. Um, because I would be doing something else. I wouldn't be present and with him and actually enjoying the relationship um, um, at, at that given moment. Um, so I think there's definitely a risk for me that that would transfer into my children's lives, especially if I'm continue to work self-employed um, mm. because the division between play and work isn't necessarily there. Um, I also think that I, I have very high expectations um, of myself and, and of others as well. And I think that especially with children, you know, you have to love them unconditionally. And I, it's not to say I wouldn't, but I think that you can, you have to be appreciative of the fact that everyone makes mistakes and that, you know, it takes a number of times to, to get something right. Um, maybe, maybe similar to you in that sense of impatience in some respect. Mm -hmm. um, I quite like teaching and helping people to learn. I think that it's important I take that view with my children that, you know, it's just, it's, it's just all part of the learning game, really. Yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can, uh, um, I can empathise with some of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, with some of those. There, there was a, there was something that happened on the weekend that my my eldest made a made a choice, and I was like, wow, that's not that's that's a that's not the choice I would make, and that's the choice that's got a lot of risk with it. Mm. Um, and and I did nothing about it, you know, because I was, you know, that that that's the you know, she needs to learn that if, if there is going to be a yeah, lesson to so... learn, she needs to learn that lesson on her own, you know. Yeah. There, there are there are some things that you know you just need to learn and as yeah, taking the taking the the choice not to get involved was quite challenging i found that mm -hmm. quite difficult to do did she learn the lesson uh, i don't know we'll have to wait and see how it plays out over time mm. um so it's something so it's a choice that she made in the moment that has potential ramifications in the future right uh, so the 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 lesson that the lesson wasn't to be learned there and then so it's a, it was a lesson on trust. So she's right. um, she shared some things with some with with she shared some things with some people, mm -hmm. um, and it's um, yeah whether whether that turn whether that um, whether that will come back to where that trust will be honoured. I suppose is that is the lesson that yeah. may or may not be learned as a result of it. That's um, true. Yeah, but bearing in mind it's a ten year old. You know, so we're talking about ten year old girls. Mm -hmm. Will that will that will that um, will that trust be held? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Mm. And I, I guess, although it, if, if it's not held, yeah, it might be hurtful, but actually that's the only way she can, can discover that and that, you know, in life it's a very good lesson to learn um, mm. at the age of 10 years old. So actually, you know, you're very much doing her a favour. 
I hope so. That, that's how that's how I <laughs> that's how I framed <laughs> it in my head anyway. Well, that's how, that's how I see things when I make terrible mistakes. I at least think, well, at least I've made them now. You know, before before the ramifications were actually too high. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, there, there's some sort of general narrative that we've played with a little bit. Uh, well, we talked, we've introduced a couple of times so far. Um, around the, the the humanness of, of what you're trying to achieve in terms of trying to create more of a more of a human and personal connection and, and it came back to me because of what you were just discussing there around the boundaries between sort of work and home mm. um, and how they're, they're getting more and more blurred you know yeah you're right you know as a as self-employed individuals we get the opportunity to choose when we work and when we don't work you know and we've got quite a lot of freedom in that whereas um, some people that work in organisations might, you know, feel they're more, you know, nine to five or eight to six or whatever that is. Um, but there is a growing trend, I guess, for that, um, for that to be um, blurred. So you know, there are some, I know there some of the work I do in terms of um, some of the thinking around presenteeism as a as a thing. You know, the idea that you know to be to be busy and to be credible, you need to be at your desk doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there's a there's a shift there's a shift. I don't know if that's too big a word, but there's a there's certainly a change in terms of you know actually should we look at people's output? You know, so yeah. once we've agreed what what it is that they're there to do, where they do it, how they do it, what time of day they do it, does that does that really matter as long as the the, the work gets done and in a way that you know is is appropriate and um, you know doesn't alienate people or you know is, is the both yes the work is done and it's also done in the right way but actually when it's done and whether somebody does it from home or the office does that really matter mm-hmm. so how I'm then linking that back to the conversation we're talking about is that in a way then building that that deeper more personal relationship and having more of a, a human relationship with with others then mm-hmm. actually is going to be more important in the long run because that what those what those sorts of conversations do or those relationships do is help build trust yep do, do you think that's a fair summary yeah no i i definitely think it, it's a, a good thing to say actually because i mean i guess part of an, an influence for me running these events etc um was that i've worked in some organizations where um they spent a lot of time building relationships from the start so as soon as i arrived i got to know the team on one-to-ones and we went out and we did their stuff together and we had conversations that were not at all related to work they were about finding out who i was and i was finding about them um and what that meant is that we were able to work very closely and very intimately and i felt able to approach them with questions and about things like, you know, I didn't know, I couldn't do. Um, and uh, to also feel like the teamwork I was doing was actually making a contribution. I was helping them out. Um, mm. And then there were other organisations where um, it was kind of just a given that you would just go up to people and you would be able to work together. Um, and um, But I knew nothing about them. And I felt like then that there was a, a very much a divide bet- between, between us, actually, um, and that... We therefore were not necessarily having the interaction, the communication that is required um, to do successful work. Um, so I feel now actually being self-employed that I am very, very consistent in my personality. I try not to have a professional and a um, personal me. I try and just marry them mm. together. Um, and I approach 
all people in the same kind of way, whether they're a vendor, or, you know, or, or, or I'm buying my coffee, or not, not buying coffee anymore. If I, were, <laughs> if I was buying, let's go green tea, green tea, buying my green tea. Um, or they're someone who comes to my event, or they are um, somebody who I might be doing, you know, business with or collaborating with. Is I'm always taking the approach of okay, let's find out something about this person. Let's be curious um, and let's um, build a rapport. Let's get to know them, and then from that basis, things will happen. And I mean, I, I found more and more that it just works. Like what I'm doing at the moment is very much built on um, networking as such, or building communities, getting to know people. Um, yeah. So, for instance, with, with these events, eighty percent. Um, of people who come have already been to an event before or have been um, told to come by a friend so it's all completely word of mouth um, and it's through building those relationships and encouraging people to get to know each other actually that has brought about about their success um, so I feel yeah I completely I completely get it you know work and play I mean for me at least that they're, they're kind of the same thing in some respect um, and it's the same with relationships as well they shouldn't be they shouldn't be, these are my work colleagues um, and therefore I would put them in one box and I would only talk to them about, you know, A, B and C and these are my friends. Um, I feel like there needs to be some kind of at least um, crossover at some point uh, between the two. Fine, you don't have to tell your your secrets at work but at least come across as a human. Um, and, you know, be honest about about what's going on in your life that's great or what's going on in your life that's, that's, that's a real struggle. Yeah, and... and... And, and I, I agree with you in, in a lot of that. And, and also this, it's a real challenge, you know, the, the, the amount of, of work that's needed to, um, for, you know, for someone to work with their identity in that way, you know, mm -hmm. so to be able to, to merge those two. I mean, I remember for a long time, there was a home me and a work me, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I even remember not so long ago, probably three, three years ago, um, uh, I'd, I'd gone out for for tea afternoon. No, it wasn't afternoon tea. No, it wasn't afternoon tea. But we'd been to a into a into a cafe that wasn't the ca a cafe that specialised in tea rather mm -hmm. than a cafe that specialised in coffee. Um, and and as we were walking across the road, someone said to me, and the, "Everyone I've met, I'd met through Twitter. Mm -hmm. So some, some, I think one person I was meeting for the second time, somebody was sort of for the third or fourth time. We were meeting socially from Twitter, and they said to me, "So are, are we friends now?" <laughs> And I was like, you know what? I don't know if we are, Be because um, this is, you know, this is a, a way. This this isn't a way that I make friends, you know. So my friends haven't, you know, historically up to that point, my friends hadn't come from, you know, meeting somebody on Twitter, chatting with them, getting to know them online, then meeting them face to face, thinking they were all right, meeting them again, continuing to have a, you know, a, a relationship with them. So mm -hmm. it. it it really challenged and, and redefined my kind of my, my view of, of friends, friendship and where friends can come from. Because mm -hmm. um, my answer was, no, I don't. In, in my current in my current categorization of friends, we're not. Um, and, and one of the people that I was with, we still have um, uh, we still have a, a bit of um, uh, sort of fun with it where, you know, she'll say to me, so 
have um, have you met any of your TANS recently? And when we talk about TANS, we're using that as a as a three letter acronym for my Twitter associate network because <laughs> I you know because I don't have friends on Twitter, mm. so you know so I have TANS um, as she calls them. But it 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 really challenged my you know at that at that moment in time it really challenged my definition of of what friends were, and I had to then re kind of almost rethink that and, and work with that to say actually am I going to redefine what my notion of friends and friendship is to include you know meeting others in this particular way so ha- have you uh, are you going to call them friends or are they still tam uh they still tams <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no no I, I definitely have some friends um I definitely have some friends that I've met um and and some really good friends that I've met through Twitter you know mm-hmm. some people that that really help me both personally and professionally so yeah. there's that Again, there's that that mix between personal and professional, um, and, and I guess if I then put myself in a in the shoes of somebody within an organisation, and maybe this could be a question for you, from you know from your experiences when you were going in in that um, uh, in that project working role, you know how comfortable were you and or others in in renegotiating those those lines between you know getting to know someone as a person as well as a colleague. Yeah, it, it's, it's a hard one, actually, because um, there are certain expectations in those roles about, you know, again, we talked about what you can ask and what you can't ask. Um, and if you come out with something very obviously um, different, uh, like, you know, as you say, hey, nice to meet you, what's your greatest fear? Um, they might, you know, <laughs> withdraw somewhat or, or just think, you know, what is going on here? So, um, so I, I learnt, um, and I'm continually learning, um, strategies to get in and ask things that are slightly more intimate, but also come across as very normal. So, for instance, um, the rather than saying "Hi, you know, how was your weekend?" you could say something like "Hi, um, how was your weekend? What was the most surprising thing that happened?" Um, and which is a slightly mm. slight change in the question because you're asking something very specific and you're inviting them to to think about it in a new way and to give you information which is not beyond the "Yeah, really nice. How was yours?" kind of thing. Um, yeah. yeah. And um, my favourite, actually, way of doing this is, when, like, especially when I meet somebody new, is to use the external environment um, and use it as an invitation to ask some questions. Um, okay, tell me more about that. So, um, again, we'll return to the coffee shop scenario. Um, mm. But this is a great place, for test, testing ground, because you're having a conversation with, with the vendor, which is, you know, expected. Um, but it, it doesn't have to be transactional. It can also be relational as well. So when they ask you what you want, um, or you say hi, they will say, usually say like, if you go to prayer, they'll say hi, how are you? And rather than say yeah, good thanks, I usually don't say that. I say something like yeah, I'm okay or I'm amazing. Um, and then before they can then ask me what my order is, I will say, and how are you? Mm. And sometimes they're shocked by being asked. Sometimes you know they expect it and they give me an answer. But then what's ne- important next is to then um, take their answer and ask them another question about it. Like if they say, you know, I'm okay. I'm like, oh, okay, why are you and you okay? Um, so in that, in that setting, I'm asking them something personal. Taking, I'm actually not using the external environment. Sorry, I said I would. I'll come to that example in a minute. But no, I'm, that's fine. That's okay. I'm taking the normal script and I'm just playing with it because it's a greeting usually. Um, that's mm-hmm. how we use that, the, the how are you. Um, but actually you can, you can use it as an invitation to for a conversation to find out about actually the how they are um and in other settings as well i i tend to drop personal information so um for instance if i'm in prayer and i am 
it's the afternoon and I order a, a green tea. You know, I say, I'm just here really because I need my caffeine kick. Um, pretty tired. Um, and then I might ask them um, about whether they drink tea or they might comment and say, oh yeah, I get it. I also feel like that in the afternoon. Um, and uh, that will lead off into a talk about, you know, so last one I had was in um, in prep. We were talking about um, different types of teas and the girl was from Italy and she was telling me how actually the English coffee or English tea was rubbish compared to theirs and how they used to do shots of coffee every day, which then led into a conversation about her her childhood in Italy. Um, we okay. were going, you know, for a good three minutes at least, which is unusual for that kind of interaction. But actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. we jumped. We jumped from this is a transaction where I'm going to give you something to actually tell me something about yourself. Um, and, uh, and actually, not that this is the intention, but I, I've got quite a few uh, free drinks out of this. Um, it's, yeah, so simply taking the script and even actually... Even the weather, people think that the weather is terrible conversation and really it's, you can use it in so many ways because you can use it to relate to people about their previous experiences. Um, so for instance, about, you know, it's always raining in, in London. Um, it's not actually always raining in London, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah, it's Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, it's Manchester. What I usually say is I say, oh, you know, it's not as bad as um, Scotland. And I say, oh, I used to live in, in Edinburgh and used to be cloudy pretty much every day is to wake up and think, oh, I can't do anything today. And, and then, then that invites the subject to move to, oh, Scotland, what were you doing in Scotland? Or um, blah, blah, blah. So you've moved, you've, you've moved out of the small talk context into something else, which, is, which has mm. more meaning to it. Um, so it, it's really very doable. And, and this can be anywhere. You know, you can even be someone's like the book they're reading um, or it can be the dog or if they're wearing a nice, like, unusual top or whatever. There's always a way to take what, what the factors that already exist or the structures that already exist and to make them more personal. Mm. Uh, so I, I think it's brilliant what you know the work that you're doing, Georgie, because it, it's 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 working with you know. So I, I think sometimes the, the the words emotions and feelings you know are used exclusive of each other, and other times they're used you know um, almost in replace of each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way that you're that you're playing with some of the ritualizedness of of interaction to really try and get into more about what people think and also how they feel, mm-hmm. um, and and what they and what they feel about how they think as well. And I think you know the, the the way you're going about that is fascinating. And and again, I love the way that you've got you know real some some of the real kind of core um, emotional aspects within some of the questions that you ask. You know, as you said, first time you're meeting somebody, asking them what their deepest fear is might be a bit too much. Um, but even just back to our appetizer, sorry, our canapé right at the start in terms of, you know, what do you crave um, or what have you craved in the last week? Um, I think it's a, a really fascinating way of um, of giving people both a, um, a framework and a, and a mechanism to allow mm-hmm. them to, to start to build deeper um, relationships and conversations. Because I think it's all very well saying, you know, break the script and ask a different question. Um, but sometimes one of the biggest challenges can be coming up with those questions and, and you've really helped people do that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's brilliant. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Um, so we, some of the questions that we ask all of the guests that we have on uh, on the podcast then. So um, are there any books or videos or, or talks that, you know, if, if people are interested in um, in some of the things that we talked about today um, or just in general, any books or, or videos or things you'd recommend for people to um, to explore? So they're not necessarily linked to our conversation today. Um, I, I tend to read about 10 books in one go 
um, at the same time. Um, and then, of course, don't finish half of them. Um, <laughs> so I, don't, I know, I don't feel like I can necessarily give those ones yet, but I may have some in the future. Um, but two books I have actually finished um, recently that I got a lot from. Um, one of them is a book called The Artist's Way. It's a creativity okay. book. It's, it's a course, actually. Um, kind of do-it-yourself creativity course over 12 weeks, and what each chapter represents a week. Um, and uh, I took the course last year, actually, um, and loved the book. Gosh, I learned so much from it. But actually, what I learned as well is that um, it invited me to be spontaneous, um, to, to stop planning, and kind of to be present and open to everything coming into my world. Um, and I think those are good lessons as well when it comes to conversations, um, is to stop planning and just to start listening and start to be aware of everything that's going on around you, which you can mm. then respond to. Um, I'm heavily investing in a lot more creativity um, stuff this year, um, and I'm finding it incredible in parallel. So I've started doing um, improv um, and uh, in class, oh, wow. classes. Yeah, it's been really cool, and uh, it, it's it's perfect. It's just perfect for conversations because it makes you. It makes you be present and it makes you stop thinking and just start like listening and being aware. Um, so anyway, that's the creativity side. Okay. The artist's way is great. The artist's way. Wonderful. Thank you. And you said there was a second one? Cool. Uh, there was. Uh, well, there is. Um, so Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Um, uh, so you recommended that to me. That's on, that's on my bookshelf. I haven't got to it yet. You haven't I, got I to similarly it. have... No, I've got two books on the go, which I'm determined to finish before I <laughs> before I start it. Yeah, that's the thing. It is a beast. It's like 600 pages, um, which I did actually manage to get through in about three weeks, but it was intense. Um, so Tools of Kaisens is uh, by Tim Ferriss, and it's um, basically Tim is, has a blog as well, uh, Tim Ferriss Show, and sorry, not a blog, a podcast. Yeah, he um, does. I subscribe to that podcast, actually. Glad to hear. Um, it's pretty good. Um, and what he's done is he's taken his most popular uh, podcast and he's put it down in a book so you can access the, their knowledge and their thoughts um, so he interviews as anybody and everybody like basically very successful people not necessarily rich but successful in some fields yeah, um, yeah. and he's asked them about their key learnings um, and some kind of strange questions as well um, but it's very addictive to read and also I find that it was hugely inspirational and there was a lot of wisdom in um in some of the quotes, um, I mean, for instance, the, there's one aspect we were talking about earlier, which is about being busy. Um, you know, this yeah. is the common excuse of, of our generation. Uh, oh, I mean, I'm so busy. And like, how are you? Oh, yeah, really busy, you know. Um, we herald it around as if it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing to be, actually. But actually, um, I can't remember who it is now. They say, well, you know, busy equals out of control. Um, it's just a question of time and priorities. Um, yeah. you, don't, you don't want to be busy. And some of the some of these quotes were very. Um, there were moments I, I read them and I thought, my God, that's right. You know, I, it, they were transformational in some respect, um, and I'm trying to use them to help me define what how I should live my life at the moment. Um, so I definitely recommend that. Although be prepared if you start reading it, you probably will be reading it for a while. Um, it's a really good book. Well, one one of the things that. Um... Uh, I think uh, I can't remember how uh, you mentioned Tim Ferriss to me then I googled him and I found one of his blogs on speed reading and I've mm -hmm. been playing with I've been playing with that since then so 
I thought if I'm going to get to this book, I need to finish. I need to get more proficient <laughs> in speed reading before I go. So I read it. I read one book recently, and I read it in about a day and a half. Now, granted, I had to, it's when we we're on holiday, and I didn't have any access to yeah. any internet, so I had no oh, devices to distract me. Um, but still, you know, <clears throat> I was able to apply um, you know, the stuff that you talked about, so it allowed me to both get through that book quickly, but also mm-hmm. not affect any of my retention. So I find that I've still you know retained the information that I read it's not like I just skimmed over it and not and it's not gone in so I'm glad to hear that I, I'm struggling I did try some of his speed reading techniques and actually I, I quite like taking time to read and, and process and really think about what I'm reading so I'm mm. not yet done over on that but maybe I need to give some more practice maybe that's it okay um and uh anyone that you'd recommend us to get on the podcast any recommendations for future guests do you think so I, I had a thought about this and I actually can't Remember, I had somebody in mind, um, and I had completely forgotten, um, which is terrible. Um, well, that's fine. So you, you can you can let me know at a later date, and then we can. Um, but, so the, part of the, part of the reason I ask is because it helps me to approach them and say, "Well, Georgie said that you'd be a brilliant guest, so it gives me a it gives me an extra in." With that's them, true. So. Well, don't worry, Phil. I will definitely let you know anyway, and I can in- even introduce you. Fab. That'd be lovely. Thank you. That'd be wonderful. Um, okay, so is there anything else um, before I kind of bring it together and close? Anything else that you're thinking, feeling, wants to say? Um, I didn't, one sec. No, I think actually we've covered quite a lot of ground actually today. Um, I think I've definitely said everything I needed to say. But yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Phil. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about what emotional work is going to be up to as well in the next few months. Thank you. And well, thank you so much for your time um, today, Georgia. Really great to talk to you. Um, so if people want to find out more about you, um, how would you like them to get in touch with you? What would you how would you like people to, you know, if, if this triggers our listeners to to want to you know, connect with you or, or find out more, where, where, what would be the best way to do that? Um, so I have a website, um, which is www.triggerconversations.co.uk and my email is also on there, which is just georgie at trueconversations.co.uk. So please do contact me. Um, I'm very happy to meet um, for a, not a coffee, for a tea. Um, well, actually, for a tea. <laughs> I, might, I might actually start having coffee by that point, um, just not all the time. So, yeah, that'd be great. Um, we'd love to keep in touch with people through that. I also have a, a Facebook page, um, um, but email, website, best way to find me probably. Wonderful, thank you. I want to make sure that we put um, we put links to both uh, to both of those. And we'll, we can, if we if you can send me a link to your Facebook group, we'll put a link to that as well in the show notes as well, if that helps. Sure, um, of course. So, so people have got every way to, to to get hold of you. All right. So all that leads me to do then is say thank you very much for your time today, Georgie. Um, really, really enjoyed um, both our um, our unexpected questions um, and then also the the conversation that we've had around them as well. So thank you very much for your time today. Um, for and thanks for your time for the emotional podcast. Thanks, Georgie. Thank you. You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast. Written, recorded and presented by Phil Wilcox. Edited together by Simon Leverton. You can find more information at emotionatwork.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at at Phil Wilcox. Thanks for listening.